Welcome to Lamb of God Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right. Well, thank you. Wonderful time of worship, time of spending uh, in God's presence, and thank you for being with us on Zoom this morning. I pray, Lord, right now for all those who are sick with uh, COVID virus. I pray that you would heal them. I pray you would drive out the virus and drive out this disease. We pray where there's uh, sinus-like symptoms and temperatures and heart racing. We pray, Lord, heal it. We pray, Lord, uh, rid their bodies of it. We pray, Lord, for uh, Mark and Happy Lorraine and Noah and Chris. We pray that, Lord, you administer to them and bless them. We pray for all for protection from this virus. And we pray, Lord, that this plague would soon end. And we pray that by your grace and mercy, you will relieve us of this threat. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, We've experienced a lockdown. We experienced it back in the spring. But in a lot of places like Canada and Europe, the lockdown continues. I have a pastor friend that I keep up with on Internet. Their total lockdown over this past year has been almost 13 weeks. And that's, um, wow, more than three months. And it takes some getting used to and some struggle. And so he was looking to church history to try to find some help, any kind of um, some kind of encouragement. And he ran across the uh, life of uh, Marie Duran. Now, Marie was young. She was only about 15. And she was part of a movement called the French Huguenots. You may not have heard of them, but during the Reformation, these were French uh, people, believers, who had come uh, to faith in Christ through Luther's teaching on justification by faith. And they'd found Christ near and dear. And they were influenced by John Calvin's writings. And Geneva's just right over the border. And scholars are uncertain, but they don't know exactly why. But they were called the Huguenots. And the French, the, state, the country of France, did not like them. And France and basically the Roman Catholic Church worked together, you know, as one people. And so... Marie's brother was a French Huguenot pastor. Her father was involved in ministry and her sister. And the, the state, France, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, deemed them a threat. And so her brother was arrested. She was arrested at the age of 15. Imagine thinking that a 15-year-old would be a threat to your country and to your beliefs. But she was uh she, she's a, Jesus Christ was precious to her through these great evangelical truths of salvation by faith through grace. And so she was in prison in, in France. They know exactly which prison she was put in. And it's hard to believe this, but they kept her in prison for 38 years. She was in the ultimate lockdown, if you will. She was not released from prison until she was 53 years old. And one of the things that they did to her, uh, especially cruel, is they just left the prison door open. If she would recant her Protestant beliefs, she would recant this teaching of justification by faith. She would line up with the state and with the Roman Catholic Church 
she could just walk out. But she wrote, scratched in the bricks of the jail cell in French, resistance. I will always stand to Christ. She was always determined to walk with him. And this was not an easy situation. There was rats. There was bad food. There was all kinds of things. But they were able to find her Bible. And and on the pages of Psalm 42 is teardrops, tear stains. And those tear stains line up with this verse. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. This is Psalm 42, verse 2. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading the great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. One of the biggest things she missed while she was in prison was common worship with fellow believers, taking the Lord's Supper and enjoying him. And there's tear stains there on her Bible in that place. She longed for fellowship. And she became a great testimony to those uh, believers in France. And if you continue to read the psalm, you read these encouraging words. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. And Marie is, you know, she spent her life basically in lockdown. But her temple was her cell. Her place was an open heaven. And she wouldn't trade that intimate relationship with the Lord for freedom or for anything. And in the gospel uh, text today, we see Jesus talking about what it means to live in an open heaven. It's an unusual text because really to understand it, you've got to be in Genesis. You've got to be in um, <clears throat> Let's see, Genesis 28, to understand what that this text means. And so we want to look at it real briefly, and then we're going to just take some principles from it that we can apply in our own walk with the Lord. So if you have a Bible ready, or we can put the, the gospel text back up. We're going to look at uh, John, just a minute, John 1, and we're going to be down in verse 43. And the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, and he said to him, follow me. In very simple words of a called disciple. This is not a, uh, unusual for a teacher to, to uh, ask people to join his group, his entourage for teaching. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathaniel. So we've already got evangelism going on. And he says, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found the very Messiah, the very figure that the whole Old Testament has talked about. We found that person. Do you imagine what excitement that would have been? You can imagine living in a society that's so caught up and looking for the promises of God to be fulfilled, that they're looking for that figure who would be the one that God had called to, to fulfill all these promises. You know, we live from, I get tickled and there's no, nothing wrong with playing games, but I am so tickled with uh, at work with how intense people are on finding a PS5 right now. And I get questions about it all day long. The, that sound, kind of, same kind of intensity was what people were feeling in the first century, longing for 
uh, Messiah, longing for one who would make things right, longing for one who would set their hearts free. And uh, when uh, Philip says that we know this figure, he's Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel's response is, Nazareth? Really? Uh, no Messiah is going to come from a backwater town like that. You know, occasionally the kids at work will ask me questions about, you know, my pastoral duties and stuff. And I say, my bishop lives in Selma. And they'll go, Selma? Like nothing can come from there. But and so there's this condescension that he feel uh, Nathaniel feels toward this town, almost a, a better, holier than thou. But Philip impels him to come and see come and meet Jesus, come and encounter him, come and see him face to face, come and see who this figure is that I believe has fulfilled scripture. So when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. And some of your translations will say in whom there is no guile. And this is a direct reference to Genesis 28 where Jacob has an experience, which we'll talk about, where he sees the heavens open and he sees, sometimes it's called Jacob's Ladder, but it was really a stair-step stair thing. And those, you know, ancient history is called a ziggurat and it's stair-steps to heaven. And he sees these angels ascending and descending. He sees the activity of God going up and down here. The problem is, is that Jacob's name doesn't mean, it means guile, it means deceiver. So what, um, uh, Jesus is saying here, here's a man that's not Jacob. Here's a man that's not a deceiver. Here's a man that has a heart um, and he's uh, for me and he's not trying to use it to manipulate other people. And it uh, doesn't mean he's perfect. doesn't mean he didn't have any sin. It means here's a person whose heart is after God. And it's not a person who, like Jacob, who everyone have known in Israel, was his name meant deceiver, manipulator. His life was a life of manipulation until he really encountered the, the Lord in wrestling with the angel. So this is, a, I mean, an ultimate compliment uh, to Nathaniel. How do you know me? Nathaniel said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And uh, the, we don't quite understand what the significance is there. There's a lot of fig trees in that part of Galilee. And so there must've been something significant about it because it really, catches Nathaniel's heart. He realizes, one, that God has already known him. God is already seeking after him. God has already pursued him. And something must have happened near that fig tree. This is a charismatic circle is what we call a word of knowledge. Jesus is acting in a word of knowledge, and he's seeing in advance something that only Nathaniel would know. And therefore, since only God would know this, and Nathaniel would know it, Nathaniel would know that God loved him. And so Nathaniel's response is, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So his, here's the guy who just a few minutes ago said nothing good comes from Nazareth is now because of this word of knowledge saying you are the fulfillment of the scriptures. You are what Philip said. You are the Messiah. You're one who brings the promise. You, won, you are the one who will change our hearts, according to Ezekiel 36. You are the one that will bring uh, reestablish Israel. You are the one who will bring healing and justice. So Jesus gets kind of tickled with this. Um, 
And uh, it's a mild rebuke, but it's it's he uh, says now, really, verse 50, Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. That's uh, all it took was just a little word of knowledge for you to decide that I'm the Messiah. I'm the fulfillment. I'm the second person of the Trinity. He says, Jesus says to him, you shall see greater things than that. If this is all that it takes for you to enter in. Let me show you what you're going to experience. Now, this is where I uh, want to just re- reference back to Matthew. I'm mean, sorry, Genesis 28. G, uh, Jacob falls asleep. He sees this stairway. He sees these angels. He sees uh, some translations say they're above the ladder or the steps was God. Probably the best translation is there at the bottom. There beside him, Jacob, Jacob saw. And stood, and the Lord stood next to him in verse 13. And the Lord makes this promise and fulfills this Abrahamic promise to Jacob and reminds him that he will be with him. He doesn't have to be scared of anything. You have to run from anything. You didn't have to manipulate anything. And Jacob says, verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. How awesome is this place? Therefore, it will be called the house of God, which is the word Hebrew word Bethel. And so he recognizes that this is a place where heaven and earth meets. This is where the activity of God is. This is where God's special place. This is what we call the temple. The temple is where you, God and earth meet, and the activity of heaven is going on on earth. You could also use the same words in the New Testament, a kingdom of God, in the Synoptic Gospels, or in John, you could say eternal life. The same means all of these terms mean the same thing that heaven has met earth. And, be, and heaven has come to earth, and the things of heaven are now affecting earth. So there'll be healing, there'll be deliverance, there'll be restoration, there'll be justice. But what's unique in this uh, passage, what's a little bit sad in this passage, is Jacob doesn't quite, still doesn't quite get it. He sets up a pillar, and he, he, he makes his relationship with the Lord conditional. And he says down in verse 21, uh, Jacob makes a vow, I'm sorry, verse 20, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so I may return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God. In this stone I've set up a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. He was still trying to manipulate. He was trying to manipulate God. If you do these things conditionally, then I will do this for you. I will walk with you. I'll give you money. I'll make a sacrifice. That's a sad thing. And But what Jesus is picking up on in here, he's saying, this is different. I'm taking Jacob's ladder. I'm going to take this cigarette, and I'm going to open it up to you, Nathaniel. In fact, not only am I going to open it up to you, I'm going to open it up to every believer. For you see, back in John, This is what Jesus promises Nathaniel and to all of us. He then added, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You will have a relationship with me and open heaven. You will have intimacy with me. Wherever you are, you will experience the temple of God and heaven will beat earth. This is an incredible promise, and it's not just for Nathaniel, it's for all of us, for all of us who come to meet Christ. 
All of us who have given our hearts to him and yielded our lives to him, surrendered to him. That's why a lady like Marie Duran would not give up her doctrine, would not deny Christ because she had encountered the living heaven, the open heaven, the living person. And so there's several things that's going on here. There's a promise. Jacob experienced it, but he, his life was conditional. Nathaniel's going to now surrender and follow Jesus. And Jesus is making the same promise. The promise that was made to a patriarch is now being made to just an ordinary man. And, and it's being made to you and me that we can have an encounter with the Lord and that we can meet Jesus. We can have an experience of him. We can be intimate with him. We can see the activity of God. So here's five quick things that we can take away from this. When we encounter Jesus and we look to him in faith, we can see and experience his majesty. We, they, remember, have a, if the, the um, Jacob's ladder is a temple, it's a place where heaven and earth meet. And in that place, we can experience God's majesty, his beauty, his holiness. Number two, we can see and watch God's activity. This is a place where the angels are descending and ascending. This is where God is moving. This is the lives that he's changing. This is the uh, spiritual warfare that he's encountering. This is what God's doing on earth. So as we spend time in intimacy with him, we begin to know more and more what God's up to. Number three, we see and know the Lord's power and promise. The Lord gave Jacob a major promise that he would always be with him. He would always provide for him and his descendants would be numerous. As we encounter Jesus in an open heaven and we experience him in intimacy, we will make, God will make his promises personal to us and we'll learn to stand on those. And as we stand on those promises, we'll experience his power. And then fourth, we'll experience his presence. This is one thing I do appreciate. Charismatic movements had its problems, and some uh, especially lately. But one of the things that uh, one of the things that attracted me to the charismatic movement is because it was experiential. It was encouraging people not just to know God in their minds, but to experience Him in real presence and to encounter the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what an open heaven means for us is that we can experience his majesty, we can see his activity, we can stand on his promises, and we can experience his presence, not just read about it, but we can know it. And then most importantly, number five, something that Jacob saw at the end, but not um, never encountered the way Nathaniel encountered him. You see and encounter the person Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus is everything. To know him, to love him, to thank him, to worship him, to walk with him. That's uh, what we most enjoy. That's what brings us our satisfaction. That's what makes life worth living is that this experience of the love of Christ, to know that our sins are forgiven and that he's having mercy on us and that we're accepted and approved of God. And we're, um, uh, he wraps his arms around us, knowing that we, are, we can know that we're always loved and that our relationship with the Lord is not conditional, but this unconditional love that we can never be separated from is uh, given to us in Jesus Christ. So as we walk away from this, just have a seed thought in your mind. An open heaven is always true for you. If you've given your heart to Christ, you've looked to him in faith, you can experience the Lord. You can have an intimate relationship with him. And it's not just for the special. It's not just for the select. It's for anyone who are walking with the Lord.
Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, I just pray that these truths would become real in our hearts, that, Father, we would experience in our own lives an open heaven to you, that, Father, we would have that kind of intimacy and communion with you that would bring joy to your heart and and, um, be a a delight to you. Lord, we just long to bless you, and we long to love you, and we thank you for this love, for this uh, presence of heaven, this living temple. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you next time.